Son of West, thank you so much for uh, having me back here. Uh, Matt asked me a little while ago if I would touch on this theme that you have of life hacks, of, of taking a look. I'm actually, what is the uncommon solutions to common problems? And taking a look at uh, teachings of Jesus and words of Jesus that will, will help us and we can benefit from in, in this life, in, in the here and now. And so when Matt asked if I would do that, I've had this date circled on my calendar for a while just because, as I said, this is like a homecoming for me, but I, at the end of the day, I just, I love talking about Jesus. I just love talking about Jesus. Uh, the older I get, the more I, I'm enthralled, the more I read, the more I spend time, the more I'm fascinated uh, by this person of, of Jesus. And he changes lives. He's changed my life. And I know it's a lot of your stories. He's changed a lot of your lives as well. And so I'd like to just kind of dive into uh, one, one, one little th- hack that Jesus gives us in, in some of his teachings. And so can we do that this morning? All right. As, as, as a preacher, um, I hope for a couple good takeaway statements in, in a sermon. And so you kind of cultivate, and we call them sticky statements. And so just like one or two maybe pithy uh, slogans or statements that you'll remember throughout the, the week. And, uh, and uh, you'll come back to the Sunday sermon. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, this is what we talked about. And I remembered it. And it's just, a, just a, nice, a nice little slogan. And so if I can come up with one or two of those, then I'm feeling pretty good about, about the message. But, but Jesus opens his, the greatest sermon ever told in Matthew chapter 5 with not just one or two sticky statements, but he opens with nine powerful life-changing statements. These are mic drop statements that if we apply in our lives, we will see uh, God's released blessing in our, in our life. These are nine different paradigms, nine different mindsets that will allow you to experience God's blessing. Let's just talk about that for a second. What do we mean when we say God's blessing? Because so often, I think when we talk about God's blessing, what we're talking about, what we, how we um, articulate that is if good things happen to me, then I'm blessed. If I get that, that pay raise or that job promotion or she said yes, I, I'm, I'm blessed. And, and we, we def- often define blessing as external circumstances. When things are good, I am blessed. And Jesus turns this definition of blessing upside down. And he says, what, what's happening um, to you is not as important as what's happening in you. And so he gives us these internal attitudes that will change everything in our lives. And I love that they're called Beatitudes because they are attitudes that we ought to, ought to be. And so my goal this morning is not just to discover what these Beatitudes are, but to practice them and to incorporate them in our lives. And so I'm not going to have time to go into all nine of these statements. I'm just going to choose one. I'm choosing the one that I feel is, is actually probably the most uh, important one in our setting. Here we are at South Calgary in, in, Cal- in Canada, in North America, and with everything that's going on a- around us, it, like, it, it truly it feels like it's, it's an age of outrage right now where we are demonizing other people, and you don't believe what I believe, whether it's politics or religion or, or relationships or whatever it is, and we scapegoat and we demonize. And, and so how can we as a church... How can we be a bridge into, into this culture? How can we be the people of peace that, that Christ has called us to be? So I want to talk about one, um, one of these attitudes. My, I, have, uh, I have four kids. Four kids. 
<laughs> That's crazy, man. <laughs> and so I, I have four kids. And my, my second youngest, Beckham, he, uh, he's, he was two, three years old when this happened. And, and I went to go and, and change him. And we went to go downstairs. And you know when, like, when you're a kid, when you're changing your kid, and they don't want to be changed. And I totally understand that. Like, I would not want someone lifting up my heads and, like, wiping me down. Or, like, that is just uncomfortable. And so they typically start crying. And that's what Beckham did. I said, Beckham, you have a dirty diaper. He says, no dirty diaper. It's not dirty. I said, no, it's dirty. We can all tell it's dirty. We're going to go and change you. And so he starts crying. And I bring him downstairs. And, and, and his cries go from normal, I don't want to get changed, to hysterical. And I'm like, so I kind of stop and I, and I step back and I say, Beckham, is, is daddy hurting you? And he's like, no, daddy doesn't hurt daddy, but be gentle because mommy hurts. And so, <laughs> and so I was like, all right. So I finished cleaning him up. I walked upstairs and said, baby, we got to talk. Apparently your changing diaper strategy is scarring our child here. <laughs> I want to talk about gentleness this morning. <laughs> the first uh, passage that we have, the, there's a verse, and so if we can get that verse on the screen would be great. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. You say that with me. Let's say that together. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. What does this mean? When Jesus says that if you're gentle, is he saying that, that the world is your oyster and, and you get to, to play in it? That, that if you're gentle, that's how you're going to get the most out of this life? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Actually, I, I kind of think that's what he is saying. He's not talking about the result benefit of a future state, that if we are gentle, that in, the, in eternity, in the sweet by and by, that we're going we're gonna to inherit some great benefit. He's talking about right here, right now, that there will be a benefit that you will experience that will enrich your life if you adopt this paradigm, if you adopt this mindset, if you practice this attitude of gentleness, which is so opposite of how we as a society view being gentle, isn't it? Because you don't think that being gentle is going to be your way of getting ahead in, in life. We think that the only earth that the gentle will inherit is the mouthful of earth as someone walks over you to get what, you, what they want. Because, you know, life favors the bold and the beautiful and the brash. So take it, seize it, go after it, carpe diem. You want it, you got it, you go for it. So why would Jesus say that the key to getting ahead in life is gentleness? I think he's saying that because it actually works. And you, you might be saying, well, hey, Drew, gentle. Why are you using the word gentle? Because if you've been around the church for a while, typically we've heard this verse as, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I, I did this intentionally. But I, I found a translation with the word gentle because, unfortunately, I, I think that the word meek has become synonymous with the word weak, that meekness equals weakness. And, and I don't want you to get the idea that if you are some milk, uh, toast, spaghetti spine person that is bending over backwards to everyone else's whim, that, that life will go well for you, because I don't think that's what Jesus is saying as well. In, in fact, the word that is used here, the original word that's in the Greek, is, is prouts or, or proutes. And it's the same word that is used to describe a wild stallion that's been tamed. 
think about that for a second. A wild stallion is a strong animal. It, it's, a, it's a powerful animal. And when that stallion is, is caught and tamed, it, it doesn't lose that power. What happens, though, it, it surrenders that power and strength to a master. My, my oldest uh, daughter, Emery, she uh, was turning nine at this time. And, uh, and so I said, Emery, well, what do you want for your birthday? And she said, I want a horse. I said, you're not getting a horse. What do you want for your birthday, Emmy? I want a horse, Dad. Like, there was no negotiation about this. This, this is what she draws and she, what she thinks about and daydreams. And, and in her bed at night, she sees, like, horses in her room and, like, frolicking in meadows and unicorns and pixie dust and all that sort of stuff. And so I say, Emery, we're not getting a horse. You have three other brothers. You have two dogs. You have a fish. We're not getting a, a horse. And so we, we settled on not getting a horse but going on a horse ride for her birthday. And so we are in B.C. and we find a, a, a cowboy who does trail rides, and we go to his, his ranch, and we, we get into his barn, and, and this big red barn, and, and we walk into this barn, and, and Emery's mouth drops open as, as she sees, like, like, any kind of animal you can imagine that lives in North America has been stuffed and mounted on this, on this wall, right? And she's like, this is what we're going to do? I thought we were just going on a normal trail ride here. And so the guy comes out, and he is about as cowboy as you get, right? He's got the hat on, he's got the, the, the jean shirt, and he rips the the sleeves off of it and his arms are like the size of my legs and he's like hey how are you doing he's got like the little thing out of his mouth there and 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 so Emery's like I don't know what I just got myself into here and he looks at me and he's like hey are you coming on the on the horse ride with us I said yeah I'm coming he's like I got a horse for you and he comes and he brings me a horse and and this is the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life this is this is a massive beast and I have a little bit of horse riding experience but I've never seen anything like this before my my shoulders was up to its like the bottom of its belly right and so I'm looking at this horse and I'm holding the reins and I'm kind of looking up at its eyes and I'm like what am I going to do with you and he's like oh you're thinking of how you're going to get on this horse I got something for you and he brings out this little platform this these stairs right and and he rolls them out and he's like here you can use the stairs to get on this horse I'm like I'm not using no stairs to get on a horse okay I'm a grown man I don't need stairs I needed the stairs to get on the on the horse and so I I get on the the horse and, and it was just incredible because this is a massive, powerful animal. And, and I knew that if this horse wanted to take off on me, like there was nothing I could do about it. So strong. But he was so gentle. With just a little nudge of my knee and a flick of the wrist, he obeyed. And we had a great ride together. He was gentle, but he was strong. And I think that's what gentleness is. Gentleness is strength under control. And I want to make a case to you this morning of why gentleness, why strength under control will pay huge dividends in your life, in the right here and in the, in the right now. And then I want to close off by just giving a couple practices that I hope that you'll be able to remember this week as you go into your own daily lives. All right, are we okay with that? Okay, so here, here's, the, here's the first benefit of why I think gentleness will, will greatly enhance and enrich your life. Gentleness will diffuse conflict and disarm critics. Gentleness will diffuse conflict in your life and it will disarm the critics in, in your life. The more gentle that I am, the, the better that I'm going to be able to manage the conflicts in my life. 
the more gentle that I am, the less ammunition I'm going to use other people to use, to use against me. Have you ever noticed that, that you, you, you're in this small disagreement and these small disagreements can turn into these full-blown fights? Like something silly is said and then, and then they get angry and then, and then you get angry and then they get angrier and then you get angrier and it keeps on escalating and then somebody's like, oh, this is all because you don't take out the garbage. And you're like, when does the garbage have anything to do with this? And it just gets out of control and you forget what you're angry about. Has that ever happened to anyone else besides me? Okay. Okay, I got a couple honest people here. We all do that. And we tend to respond to anger with anger, and anger just escalates the problem, but gentleness de-escalates the problem. This is what the um, book of Proverbs says. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So you don't get to choose the conflicts in your life, but you do get to choose of, of how you're going to respond to them. And you can make them better or worse. You can choose to raise your voice when they're raising their voice, or you can choose to speak quietly and softly and gently as they're yelling and screaming. And I, and I promise you, gentle answers will diffuse conflicts. And I think we can all agree on that, Right? I mean, I, I'm here, I'm you're there, and we're on a Sunday morning at church, and I can see the heads bobbing, you know, yeah, gentleness diffuses conflicts. Yeah, yeah, that works really well, and then Monday morning rolls around. <laughs> and I don't know what happens between Sunday and Monday, but something happens, and, and you, get, you roll into work, and your boss is riding you for not replying to the email that he sent over the weekend, or you're driving to work, and somebody cuts you off, and you're like, what was that? And, and like hands and fists are raised, and fingers are flying all over the place, right? And you got words that are going to be spoken, Right? Uh, why is it that this practice, this attitude, this be attitude of gentleness is so hard to incorporate in our lives? I want to give two reasons. One's biological and one's spiritual. Here's the first reason, biological, neuroscience, okay? You probably didn't come to church thinking that I was going to talk about neuroscience this morning. But, but here, here's the thing. In our brains, there is something called mirror neurons, all right? Mirror neurons, they mirror the emotions of someone around us. That's why when someone else is angry, we mirror it and we reflect that anger back at them. And when someone is in a happy or in a, in a good mood, you feel like you're in a better mood as well. It's why we always want to be with people that are smiling and laughing and have like just, they're just enjoyable to be around because we mirror that emotion back to them. And science would suggest that this has developed over the course of time. And it, and it kind of comes out of a herd mentality. So if the herd is scared, then we're scared. If the herd is running, then we run. If the herd is calm, then we're calm as well. I would also suggest to you that this is God's way of allowing you to feel the emotions of those around you. It's called empathy. It's why he says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. The hard part is, is when someone is angry at you and everything in you wants to rise up and meet that anger with your own anger to recognize, oh, that's my mirror neurons acting up and I need to calm down now. And this is where the spiritual part comes in. Because a lot of times we respond to anger with anger and I think we do so because of our own stuff, our own, our own pride. Because I want to win. We want to win. I'm going to bring my fire to this fight. And my fire is bigger than your fire. My fire is better than your fire. My fire is smarter than your fire. And it can beat your fire. And, and when we have this mentality, the problem is that we might win the battle, but I think we're going to lose the war. 
and there's going to be a, a cost associated with that. That's going to cost us in our relationships. It's going to cost us at work. It's going to cost us in our witness. It's going to cost us in our own, in our own faith. And you want, to, you want to diffuse or manage conflicts better? Be gentle. And not only does it um, gentleness diffuse conflict, but it disarms our, our critics. Any, any of you have critics? Right? People that just talk smack about you all, all the time? I asked that question at Summit when I, when I was doing this message, and in the front row was like a couple and a spouse, and it, when I said, do any of you have critics, she elbowed him, and he put his hand up, and I was like, oh boy, <laughs> I, I shouldn't have asked that question. <laughs> People say that, that the, the world is, uh, is a much more critical and an angry uh, place than it, than it used to be. And, and I'm not sure I actually agree with that. I don't know if it's any more critical or any more angry than what it is. But the difference is, is that the critics now just have a public platform to criticize. And, and, and we're not just more critical. We've just given megaphones to critical people. And so everyone's got an, an opinion and everyone's got, uh, got a hot take. And there's just a lot of noise and a lot of chaos and a lot of voices that, that are screaming at this. And I think a lot of you know what I'm talking about because you probably have people like this in your lives as as well it's they just love to fight they love to argue they love to to debate it's what it's what they live for you know that that um anger can become an actual addiction it, it, it's what fuels the fire of existence. And, and, the, and the people that have this uh, addiction of, of anger, they say that they, they are addicted to it because it's the only time that they feel alive, that the rest of their life feels empty and, and, and hollow, and so they want to pick a fight just so that they can feel their own heartbeat. Paul, he addresses this in his letter to the Corinthians. And, and, and Paul was used to dealing with angry people. This is what Paul says. He says, we must respond gently when evil things are said about us. He doesn't say that because he's weak. He doesn't say that because he's, he's passive. He says it because he, he knows what he's talking about. He, he's smart. And, and he's got better things to do with his life than to get sucked into the vortex of somebody else's anger. And so he says, the way that you respond to that is, is with gentleness, my, my two oldest, Paxton and, and Emery, oh, man, I love them. <laughs> they just drive you crazy. So, so Paxton, he loves to push Emery's buttons. Like, it's what he lives for. I think he just, he wakes up in the morning, and he thinks, how can I upset my sister today? Oh, I got this strategy and this strategy and this strategy. And he works it out and he follows through with those strategies. And he knows exactly what to say, when to say it, how to say it. And he pushes those buttons. And Emery's got this tone in her voice. And whenever I hear her say, Daddy, I know exactly what the situation is. The, the tone, the length, and what she says, Daddy, everything. And so I don't even need to assess what the situation is. I just come into the room, separate them, say, Paxton, like, like, grow up, okay? Emery. And then I had this little conversation with Emery. And, 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 and because Paxton wants her attention, he wants to get a rise out of her, I have to, I have to just tell her, Emery, you got to stop playing his game. And every time that he pushes your buttons and you want to match that and you get mad at him and you push him and then you yell, yell at me, that's, that's exactly what he wants because he wants your attention. He just wants, he just wants you to give him some like, love. I don't know how that's love, but it is, apparently. And so I have to say, Emery, you got to this. Be gentle. Kill him with kindness. And the Bible says that when we do that, it's like heaping coals on, on their head. I don't know 
what that's like. I've never had that happen to me, but it does not sound pleasant. Listen, gentleness won't eliminate the conflict in your life. That will always be a reality. But what it will help you do is manage it, and it will minimize the damage of the effects of conflict in your life. That's the first benefit of gentleness, I think. Here's the, here's the second benefit, is that it, it will make you more influential with others. Gent, gentleness will make you more influential with others. I do this group every year. Uh, it's called Leading Together with a group of guys. And, and what we want to do is we want to we grow in our own uh, leadership skills, our self-leadership. We want to grow in spiritual intimacy. We want to grow in our own character development. We want to grow in our, in our uh, key relationships and in this, our service component in life for uh, using the gifts that God has given to us. And so we have this conversation. We're talking about character development. And, and, and we said, what is one area in your character that you want to grow this year and and so I remember like I'm the guy that's kind of chairing the meeting and so I I have to start it off and I say okay I want to grow in my and I'm thinking this is like this is what a leader says right I want to I want to grow in my in my um my vision skills yes I want to be a visionary clear vision concise vision cut through the fog sort of vision I don't really want to grow in, in like patience and, and kind of, like, no, 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 I want to grow, and I actually said that, right? And I want to grow in my vision skills, right? I have to pat myself on the back. That was a good answer. Leader, pastor, that's what you want, want right? And we go around the table, and we get to the last guy around the table, and he's, he's kind of like the, the statesman of, of the group. And, and he said, man, he said, I, 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 want, to, I want to be more kind, I just, I really want, you know why I want to be more kind? Because when I'm more kind, I, I feel like I'm more like Jesus when I'm kind. And I was like, ugh, dagger in my, in, my, in my heart. He saw the long-term value of influencing others with gentleness and kindness instead of a position. Ecclesiastes says, a gentle spirit can overcome even great mistakes. What this is saying is that my level of influence is not measured by my lack of failures, but, but, but by the gentleness of my heart. I think there's a lot that we can say about leadership. Um, you know, and, and often we define leaders by titles and bank accounts and, and uh, different positions, but I, I think leadership is actually about influence. The greatest leaders that I can think of were, were leaders that were gentle. I actually, I did a, a Google search. I went to the Google, and I was like, greatest leaders of all time. And it came out with one list, and I was so uh, fascinated by this list because it was so polar opposite, the, the individuals in this list, that I could make two different lists on here. So, so here are the greatest leaders of all time. You'll be able to figure out uh, what's end of the spectrum that, that we want to be on. So first person on the list was Adolf Hitler, and then Fidel Castro, and then Julius Caesar, and then Mao Zedong, and then Gandhi, and then Abraham Lincoln, and then Jesus, and then George Washington, and Nelson Mandela. And I thought it was interesting that the most influential leaders of all time were actually polar opposites of one another. And you can be a person of influence, and you can be a person of, of, of anger, and bitterness, and hate, or you can be a person of influence and be a person of gentleness and kindness. You know, um, Abraham Lincoln was, uh, said that he was, uh, uh, he was described as velvet steel, core in the strong and soft to the touch. Gentleness, it, it'll make you influential. Why, why is that? Because it's attractive, right? Well, who do you want to be around? Somebody that's like a rude, crude dude that is rolling with, with attitude or, or, or somebody that's kind and gentle. 
Peter, the Apostle Peter, he says this. He says, he says hey, I, I want you to clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentleness is attractive, and it's a beautiful character trait that does not fade with age. We spend so much time chasing after beauty and physical attractiveness. And we, we buy this product and we buy that product and we get this surgery done and this lifted and this tucked and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and you know what? It's, it's fleeting. Our physical beauty will deteriorate. And the longer we pursue that, I, I think the more uglier we actually become. I think of, of my mom, and she's in her 60s now. And, and I, I just, I think my mom is a, is a beautiful woman. Um, she's not 25 anymore. If you go to her house, she will have the, her wedding pictures. And my mom at 25 was, was a very beautiful woman as well, but, but she's in her 60s now, and she's still a beautiful woman. And it's not physical attractiveness. You know what makes my mom beautiful? It's, it's her spirit. It's the kindness and the gentleness, and you'll be able to see that, and you can just absorb that in five minutes of a conversation with her. So not only is, is gentleness, is it, is it attractive, but it's persuasive as well. The more gentle you are, the more persuasive you will be. When, when gentle people speak, people listen. If you have a toddler or a teenager or a, a maybe just a, a spouse, okay, uh, hear this. A gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. A gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. Uh, you can scream and yell and you can get what you, you want, but it will only be a momentary victory. You can get upset and angry and we can push back and we can force our will on those around us, on our kids and our employees and our, and our spouses and our friends. But is that really what we want? Is that our goal? Because one day those people will stop fearing us and, and then we'll just be a lonely individual. I, I heard it put this way. I'm, I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. Proverbs has a more eloquent way of, of saying that. It says, a wise and a mature person is known for understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. And, and it's so true, especially when it comes to us sharing our faith with, with people. Son West, what, what is the purpose? What is the reason why you exist? I mean, you've been saying it like every week for 20 plus years, right? You exist to guide all people into a lifelong authentic relationship with Jesus, right? That's why we, we exist as, as a church. We can't guide people into a, an authentic lifelong relationship with Jesus by beating them over the head with the Bible, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. Getting all defensive and, and worked up isn't going to help anyone. Arguing is not going to persuade people. So, so what is? What is going to persuade people? And I want to share with you what I, I think. It's the crown jewel of my, my theology, my understanding of God, and it comes out of the book of, of Romans, and it's, that's Paul's, his, it's his theological treatise. This is what Paul says. You want, you want to persuade people? Well, it actually comes down to this. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. I just thought, I find that fascinating. And, and Paul is one of the, the most theological-minded individuals and in understanding in, in who God is. And he doesn't say it's the truth of the Lord that leads people to understanding. He says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. 
I think there's a place for defense of the faith, and I think that there's a place for apologetics, and I don't want to poo-poo that at, at all, but that's not where we start. If you want to be influential in your workplace, if you want to be influential in your family and in your relationships and in your, in your neighborhood and, and community, if you want to make a kingdom impact, be gentle. Be kind. That's the second benefit. Here's the third benefit really quickly. It, it, and this might be the most important one. Um, it makes you look more like Jesus. Gentleness will make you look more like, like Jesus. Do you know that's what God's number one goal in, in our lives is? Is to make us and mold us into the image of, of Jesus. Think, and th- think about this. Th- this is God in flesh, Jesus in, in flesh. There's no better example of gentleness than, than Jesus. A God in flesh. So we're talking, that's a stallion with, uh, with strength and all the power and all the majesty of God surrendered to a purpose that was bigger than himself. And that purpose was you and me. And the one time that Jesus gets angry, the one time that you can point to scriptures and say, hey, you got upset here. He showed a little bit of emotion here, Drew. What, what would you say about that? He wasn't that gentle here. And you remember that scenario where he was flipping the tables over and he was having a temper tantrum, right? Was that what the case was? No, he was upset because it was on behalf of the poor and the religious leaders were, were barricading and preventing the poor from having access to the presence of God. See, even when he's mad, he doesn't do it for his own gain. He's doing it to help others. And this is what I want us to get out of this. Gentleness was not just an add-on in Jesus' personality trait, gentleness was the essence of who he was. It's, it's what he says about himself. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And I, I don't want you to miss that, that, that gentleness and rest for your souls. Those things are, are connected. You, you want rest at a soul level? Try being gentle. Uh, they go hand in hand. Do you, you ever think that the reason why that, that we get so stressed out and amped up and, and ramped up and burned out and anxious and, and worried, do you ever think that the, the reason why we are experiencing that is because we're not gentle? Because Jesus says, when you, when you come to me, I am gentle, and you'll find rest in your soul. See, the more that we are with Jesus, the more that we become like Jesus, the more that we become like Jesus, the more peace and rest that we will experience in our own lives. And this doesn't happen because uh, something happened in my outside circumstances and everything has aligned itself in a, in a perfect way, but it, it happens because of the condition of my heart. We, also, we need to understand something about that, is that we can't manufacture this. We can't manufacture gentleness. You can't wake up in the morning and say, be gentle, be gentle, be gentle, be gentle. I'm going to be gentle to, today. That, that, that doesn't happen. Why? Because it's not some learned character trait. It's a fruit that comes from the Spirit of God that lives within us. I know you know about that because that was your last year's summer series when you guys went through the fruits of the Spirit, Right? Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. When I start spending time with, with Jesus, when I cultivate time in my day and, and I read his word and, and I'm, I'm in praying and I'm just, I'm just in his presence or when I'm rubbing shoulders with other uh, Christ followers, it, it, it just starts to well up in us the fruit of the Spirit and we're to let that fruit show we're, we're to let that, let that out so the world can see it. Blessed are the meek. Blessed 
are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. <sighs> I got for time. <laughs> okay, I want to give two practices, and uh, and and I'll invite the band to to come up. Um, and I, I, you know, I hope that you would be able to uh, utilize this, and this would be an encouragement for you this this week. Uh, here's the first practice that I want to offer you: is um, be understanding, not demanding. Be understanding, uh, not not demanding, uh, especially with those that are serving you, because you will be served at some point this week, whether it's at a checkout station or groceries or in a drive-through or you're you're in in a, in a line at McDonald's or whatever. In those moments, can you be more understanding and less demanding, right? And so you're in a line, you're at McDonald's. And, and the person is the trainee, and they're making some mistakes, and, and everyone's in a rush, and everyone's getting, getting bugged because, because he's taking too, too long. And, and maybe being understanding and not demanding would be just walking up to that individual and say, hey, it's okay. You're doing your job. You're learning. Tomorrow's going to be a better day. I think that's being gentle. I think that's a form of gentleness. I was thinking about this actually. Like, what if the reputation of Sun West here in, in South Calgary was solely dependent on if you were gentle or not? Would they want to come and explore who Christ is and grow and who, who they are in Christ with you, or would they hold you at arm's length? That's the first practice. Be understanding, not, not demanding. Here's, here's the second practice. Be gentle, not judgmental. Be gentle and not judgmental. I can guarantee you that at some point this week, somebody is going to let you down. Someone, someone's going to do something that doesn't measure up to the standards that, that you have. And how will you respond in that moment? Are you going to look at them? Are you going to say, I, I told you so. How could you be so dumb? You just got to be better. Is that going to be our, our response? Or will you be tender? Not in the way that that we're a pushover so we can have, have that velvet glove with an iron fist we can still have strength under control and close with, with this question how would you rate yourself when it comes to gentleness a scale of 1 to 10 where would you put yourself on, on that scale and I don't know what the, like, the measurement of that is if like 10 is like Mother Teresa and 1 is like Castro or something like I, I don't know maybe that's two extreme of examples there but where would you put yourself on that scale 1 to 10 of gentleness and here's the reason I ask that because wherever you put yourself on that scale we all have room to take one more step to be a little bit more more gentle you know that there's only two people in all of scripture that were called gentle Jesus and Moses I think that should actually give us some hope because for the most part of his life, Moses had some serious anger issues, right? And dude killed somebody. He's always yelling at somebody. He's hitting rocks with his staff. He's just angry. I would be too if I was in his shoes, probably. I would be. But the point is that there's always hope. There's always hope. Moses learned how to be more gentle. That happened over the course of a lifetime. I think we can learn to be gentle. And I, I know that for some of you, you probably didn't have that example 
when you were growing up of somebody that was gentle with you. There's a good chance that there's people in this room that that's not their life experience. I want to recognize that, but I also want to say that there, there is hope. You can take a step, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've gone through in, in your life experience, you can take a step to be more gentle in your life. Strength under control. I think that that's one of the best life hacks that we can adopt as Christ followers. Right here, right now, 2019, in the chaos, in the vitriol, in, in all the noise that is coming at us, that we can take the posture, the attitude, the be attitude of gentleness. Can I pray? Father, we, we, we confess uh, we need you in this. And even those of us here that are naturally tender, naturally kind, naturally gentle, even the ones that are most naturally uh, wired that way get tired and weary. We get worn out by circumstance and we get worn out by arguments and, and worn out by opinions and, and, and people and, and God I just pray that you would strengthen us resolve our hearts and our spirits also confess God that there's, that there's those of us in, in this room that, that battle with gentleness we confess that it's easier for us to move towards anger than it is towards being gentle. And so God, would, for those of us, that that is a reality in our lives. Would you, would you breathe new life into us? Would you breathe fresh life? Would you grow this fruit in us so that it would overflow in, in all areas of our lives? God, I pray that we would practice this fruit that in, in, our, in our week, that we would be gentle. We would still have strong convictions and we wouldn't be pushovers, but, but we would be soft to the touch of those around us and our communities and our workplaces, our own families, people that have experienced the harshness of, of the reality that they are in. I pray that we would be a safe place for them and we, we would be soft with them. And I pray we would be gentle with those around us. Because in our gentlest, that's when we are pointing people to you. That is when we are most like, like you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for everyone that is represented here in this room. Just pray a blessing on them. Pray a blessing on this church. That they would just see kingdom fruit here. That your spirit would be ever present. In your name we pray.